the series that I'm doing, this, um, this camp meeting, I've entitled Re-Engineering Genetic Risk, Transforming Sickness into Health, the Transforming Power of the Health Message. There is no more important time for us as Seventh-day Adventists to understand the real purpose of our health message. It's been unfortunate that in years and decades past, our health message has been either presented but oftentimes perceived in a very legalistic way. You see, we've often heard about the health message is the what? It's the right arm of the gospel. But in the, in the past, it's often been used as the right fist of the gospel, where church members or others are telling others, like, right? Now, there are times where we need to be assertive with each other, as good friends are assertive with each other, because we care about each other. But if there's no love involved in that process, we actually miss really what the right arm of the gospel is all about, which is really the open hand of Jesus bidding us, do you wish to be healed? Not just us, but asking us as a church to actually share that message with the world. Do you want to be healed? And what's the answer to that? People all around the globe are seeking to be healed. They are seeking answers for all kinds of infirmities and in our libraries at home most of us have book after book after book that can guide people to healing and most importantly the source of that healing we we know from Ellen G. White's counsel that there will come a day when the only form of ministry will be what? Will be medical ministry, health ministries. The only opportunity that we have to share God's word with other people will be if we're doing it in the context of a health or healing ministry. That is why Every church, every individual in every church needs to understand this great gift. It's a gift, just like the Sabbath. It is a gift for healing. You know, that's why God gave us the Sabbath, to build relationships through which we help restore emotional, mental, and physical healing. All these messages that we have been called upon to share with the world, it's not about that being our salvation. Jesus Christ is our salvation. It's about using this gift to share with the world that's looking for something that's real, not something that's fake. Let me begin by sharing with you a passage from Desire of Ages which 
has been the model that I have personally used in my lifestyle medicine practice. I first read The Desire of Ages through from cover to cover when I was in junior high. I fell in love with the inspiration of Ellen White by reading that book. Such a powerfully written book. Why? Because she was constantly open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the angels that were with her, guiding her, her writing process. And as you look at the, the chapter in the Desire of Ages, and let me just look it up here. Uh, chapter 10, page 104, 103, 104, it's, it's a wonderful description of the work of John the Baptist. Now, what does that immediately bring to mind? That is an analogy of our work today in these last days. That is what we have been called to do as John the Baptist was called to prepare the Jewish people for the first coming of Jesus Christ. We as Seventh-day Adventists have been called to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. What, what an awesome calling that is. And so chapter, chapter 10, the voice in the wilderness. Do you sometimes feel like your voice is crying out in the wilderness and nobody hears? Do you have friends? Do you have family members who, when anything comes up relative to your beliefs, they kind of raise an eyebrow and look the other way? I think we've all been in that situation. But this, this, par uh, this paragraph that I'm about to read to you from page 104 of Desire of Ages really challenged me. And it gave me an understanding what needs to happen when we present the health message to other people. Um, we've heard this morning about the challenges uh, with regards to spiritual formation and and the, the, the call of peace and safety. Everything's going to be okay. Let's just, let's just focus on the, the touchy, feel-good aspects of our religion. Um, but really, the voice in the wilderness wasn't touchy-feely, was it? Let's, let's take a look at this. And I'm quoting here now. He saw his people deceived, self-satisfied, and asleep in their sins. He longed to rouse them to a holier life. The message that God had given him to bear was designed to startle them from their lethargy. Okay, so if you have a message to give, we need to understand that our message that we've been given is designed to startle people. In other words, if you haven't seen anybody startled recently, maybe it's because we're not. We're not being assertive enough. We're being too touchy-feely. I have to read this frequently because it's easy for us in our society and our culture to shy away from this commission 
that we were given. So the message that God had given him to bear was designed to startle them from their lethargy and cause them to tremble because of their great wickedness before the seed of the gospel could find a lodgment, the soil of the heart must be broken up. What a great picture that is. If, if we have any hope to be successful in winning over these souls, we need to understand these principles. Before they would seek healing from Jesus, they must be awakened to their danger from the wounds of sin. Okay, now, you might be thinking, how does this relate to the health message? Well, it has everything to do with the health message. We're essentially, because the health message is the right arm of the gospel, this passage helps us understand how the health message is to be given out. So my whole approach in, in clinical practice, in doing seminars, is to help people really understand what their risk is. Not sugarcoat it. Not to say, oh, everything's pretty good. Don't worry about it. How would you feel if you had a terminal disease or a near-terminal disease, and, and you went to the doctor, and your doctor says, ah, I've seen worse. Don't worry about it. Well, well, wait a minute, but what, what are we going to do about this? Oh, you know, don't worry about it. You know, I, got, I got a lot sicker patients waiting, and, uh, you know, why don't you come back in a month or two? You'd probably go find a different doctor, wouldn't you? So the, the, the challenge that we have been given here is that we need to speak plainly as to what the risks are. I remember years ago, Dr. John McDougall, who's an internal medicine physician, who has a real passion for nutritional medicine. He would actually be invited to a lot of the Seventh-day Adventist camp meetings, even though he wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist himself. And he would taunt, uh, taunt uh, certain Adventists in meeting, because he was kind of a hardcore guy, about, um, about certain things with regards to the diet, things that I wouldn't do. But um, he, his, his whole focus was, is if you tell somebody I don't, if you think, oh, if I just tell them to do this much, because I don't think they're going to really do everything that I know they need to do. So I'm just going to give them maybe half of what they need to do. What's the problem with that? Half of what they need to do is not going to get them a solution. It's, it's not going to get them to that tipping point to actually achieve healing. It's, it's, it's in the direction of healing, but it's not healing. Okay, And so if it takes this much to achieve healing, I want to get here to get that tipping point so that I can receive that full integrated gift so healing can take place, whatever it is. And so he made a big point of that. This is over 20 years ago. He said that we got to give it straight or else people are walk away feeling pretty good about themselves because they're following all your recommendations. But guess what? All my recommendations are not going to heal anybody if it's not the total package. So we need to speak plainly. We need to give out all the information. But it doesn't end there. We always have to end with sharing 
the opportunity of healing, the hope that is available through the message that fully integrates all the steps that are not just beneficial but necessary to accomplish a given goal. Okay, so, so that's, that's, the, um, that's the introduction. Now, the, okay, I just got turned off here. Let's see. Caleb, can you help me out with this? Okay, I'll go to the handout. I'm just going to jump down briefly so I see what's happening here. i got a backup plan. So our, our topic today is actually treating the cause of disease and low-quality health. See, a lot of us go, I'm not sick. Why do I need to come to this talk? I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. The reality is there's something wrong with all of us. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with every single person sitting in this room. Um, and there's... Each one of us have the opportunity to improve the quality of our health, even though we may not, in our mind, in our understanding, be experiencing traditional illness as we define it. So we can all benefit. By the way, why was the health message? Well, there's several reasons for this, but what was the, the real value of the health message to the early church? Personally speaking, thank you. You remember the stories of, of our top leaders being sick and having strokes and having all kinds of health problems? That message was given to us because in order for the church to build and to grow and to, and to maintain its momentum, it was critical that the church leaders understand what it was that was causing those illnesses. And so it was a gift. It was an opportunity to become healthy, so healthy that now I can be of better service to my God and to my fellow man. That's, that's one of the many valuable gifts of the health message. Now, it's... Um, one of the things that I want you to gain from t today's talk is that we traditionally have believed because of what we've been taught scientifically, academically, is that we're all born with certain genes. And boy, if you're born with the wrong gene, boy, too bad. Up until just the last few years, medical science has promoted that philosophy, and it was a philosophy, that your genes are largely deterministic of what diseases we will get. And obviously there's truth to that, but actually it's a small truth. There's a much larger truth that overshadows that what we think of as a truth. And so I'm excited to be sharing with you this whole idea of how actually to turn off bad genes and turn on good genes. Did you know you could do that? Okay, it's, the gene itself isn't determining our future health. 
It's whether that gene is turned on or turned off. Ooh. Now this now brings to bear opportunity, but also accountability. In other words, my choices are going to influence my genetic tendencies, not just the choices of my father and my mother and, and the third and fourth generation before me, right? Not, not just the choices of the thousands of generations, but my choices have the biggest influence in this process. That's exciting to me. It's not victim blaming. Some people say, well, that's victim blaming. No, that's not victim blaming. It's, it's me recognizing that what I do today, how I choose to live my life and accept or reject the many choices that I have every day is going to largely, primarily determine my health risk. That, that generates opportunities for me, and it, it generates opportunities for each of us to share that information with others. So the, the challenges in our world, is especially as it relates to health and, and health outcomes, there seems to be that, that hopelessness. But can I really regain my health? Can I really overcome what I now believe to be a clear genetic deficit. Genetic testing, by the way, is coming of age. Within a few years, we're gonna be able to, for a couple hundred dollars, get a comprehensive genetic test to determine exactly what our predispositions are. Question is, would you take that test if it was affordable to you? Would you actually do it? Uh, there, there are certainly legal, medical legal issues, you know, that, that are a little scary to some. Who's going to have access to that? Am I going to be denied life insurance? Am I going to be denied medical insurance and so forth? And those are, those are legal issues. But just from a personal health standpoint, some have said, well, if, if I actually have the gene or the multiple genes for Alzheimer's. I don't want to know. I don't want to be stressed out for the next 30 years or 10 years. Where parts of my life that should be high quality, knowing that something horrible is going to happen to me in the future. Or if I have the, the breast cancer gene, the real lethal breast cancer gene, I don't want to know. But see, by understanding this topic, we will have an opportunity to change those genes. So I'm going to uh, go, go through this to, to share with you what, are, well, what is possible with regards to genetic re-engineering. So what about uh, heart disease, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, depression, chronic fatigue syndrome, joint pains, whatever. Is there any hope for those of us that are struggling with these issues? And the answer is absolutely, absolutely yes. Uh, I've, I've recently had many patients come to see me who are just starting to have a family, little kids, toddlers, two, three, four years old. 
They come in and they have serious liver disease already. They have uh, atherosclerotic disease. They have, they have uncontrolled diabetes. What about them? What, what, what quality of life can they look forward to? They're just in their 30s, and they're already suffering from, from the serious type of chronic disease that typically would be more likely to occur in the 60s and 70s. What, what about the impact on their children not having their parents around as they grow up? And so is, are these the type of people that we want to just say, hey, you know, don't worry about it so much. You got kids to take care of, you know, just, uh, just do your best, you know, just, just take a little bit more insulin and that'll get your blood sugars down a little bit. And, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll check a few tests. And do we want to provide that type of information or do we want to help them find a way to reverse that condition? to, at minimum, prevent the complications of that. In other words, there has to be a comprehensive package here. So the, the challenge is, is that, as I talk with some people, they'll say, oh, you know, Doc, my problem is familial. Have you heard that term? Familial. It's, it's basically helping me recognize that they've studied their problem. They have looked it up. They've done their research. And they, have, they recognize that their condition is familial, it's genetic, it was inherited. In other words, that don't, let's not waste time talking about this, because it's, it's set in stone. That's the implication. At least that's what they believe at that point in time. It's the kind of idea that, well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I'm not going to waste my time or my life worrying about things I can't have any control over. Well, if that was true, I would agree. But we have been given a different message to share with everybody. Do we believe that? Or is there something that we have been shared, uh, that has been shared with us to tell us otherwise? Do you believe that you're predetermined? So this speaks to Seventh-day Adventists in our theology. Do we believe in predeterminism? that things are just set, that we don't have control, that do, do we believe once saved, always saved? No. We always have an opportunity to choose to turn off the bad genes or to turn on the good genes. But let's say that we've turned on the good genes. Let's say we've turned off the bad genes. Does that mean that they're once and for all forever locked in that position? What, what is that determines? It's, it's, I, I love this quote from Ellen White. I haven't thought of it for, for a while, but it fits here. She said, it's not the occasional deed or misdeed, but the trend of our lifetime, the trend of our lifestyle, the choices that we make habitually from day to day, that is what's going to have the biggest influence on turning genes off and turning genes on. So what is it that determines our health? Is it, is it fate? Is it nature or nurture? You know, that whole argument scientifically. Is it genetic? Is it environmental? Uh, well, let me, let's begin to better understand this question by going over the story of what I call the fat yellow mouse. In medicine and in, in 
genetic research, there is a, a strain of mice called the agouti mice. Agouti mice have been bred, are genetically predetermined to have a yellow coat to become uh, obese very quickly, to develop heart disease, and many of them die prematurely of cancer. Now, what's interesting, as you see on the screen, these are both agouti mice. And in fact, they are identical twins. Now, you might be thinking, no, 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 no. You, I can see, and I can plainly tell those are not identical twins. But scientifically, their genes are identical. So this begins to break apart that notion of genetic predeterminism. It begins to break apart the idea that your genes actually determine everything about you, and therefore, you know, God just loves me, and, and that's just the way it is, and, and I don't have any responsibility for these issues. Here's another shot of the, of the mice. Uh, you can clearly tell that they, while they are genetically identical from a health perspective, from a physical health perspective and emotional health perspective as well, they're very, very different mice. What made a difference? The Dr. Dr. Randy Jurdle, who is a genomic scientist at uh, Duke University, has actually done years and years of research. He is likely to be nominated for the Nobel Prize for Medicine and Science. He has shown that when the ma mother fat yellow mice are put on different diets, that determines whether or not the gene is activated during the gestational intrauterine period. And as you can see here, these mice, these identical, identical genetic mice, depending on their exposure to the right nutrients at the right critical times of development, have, have varying levels of yellow coat to brown coat. Now, uh, a mouse is supposed to have what color coat? It's supposed to be lean and healthy and, and uh, vigorous and have a brown coat. Okay, but the less nutrients it's exposed to and the more everyday environmental toxins it's exposed to, the greater the likelihood that those genes that are sitting there waiting to be turned on and turned off, those genes that coat for the agouti strain get turned on. The good news is that they can be turned off. There, um, one, of, one of his research fellows at, the university, uh, at Duke University, they, they actually fed these agouti mice bisphenol A, which is a chemical found what? In what? It, that leaches out of plastics. It's everywhere, right? Everywhere plastics are, uh, it leaches out. And, and so they gave the equivalent of, uh, amount of this mild environmental toxin. 
that would be found in a, in a baby drinking milk from a plastic bottle. Same amount. You know what they found? That that bisphenol A caused the activation of that gene that established the yellow coat, the, the obesity, the cancer, and heart disease risk. But here's the good news. By even when those mice were exposed to these plastic mild toxins that actually disrupt the hormonal system of the body, they're called endocrine, endocrine dysregulators or disruptors, plastics actually have uh, an estrogen effect on the body that can cause serious hormonal changes in little kids if they're exposed to them. This is one of many examples. But the good news is that if those mice at the same time were fed really healthy foods, whole foods, foods that you would get in deep green leafy vegetables, foods that incorporate lots of magnesium and potassium, and, and magnesium is an example of what we call scientifically a methyl donor. It actually gets into the, the nucleus and the genes, and it actually turns off bad genes. You don't want to be magnesium deficient, and yet most of us are. Something that can be tested for. And so by having enough of these, or having enough of genistein, which is a component in whole soy products, that actually reversed that, that negative gene expression that led to increased risk of heart disease and cancer and other problems. So, the, in your handout, you will see a slide where these, these um, healthy nutrients get into the nucleus of every cell and actually turn on the good genes. And they turn off whole sequences of genes that, if activated, would cause serious disease. Um, As, as we're looking at the opportunity to activate the right genes, I think this is appropriate in this setting for me to share with you some ideas that I have about God's original intent. Let me, let me read to you from the very first chapter of the Bible. So you have your Bibles with me. Turn to Genesis 1. And uh, I was actually impressed about this as I was listening to Elder Ho this morning. Um, as you look at Genesis 1, in the beginning, after, um, on, on the day, on the crowning day of creation, when God made man and woman, what else did God do? Did he just say, hey, all right, you're all there. We'll see you later. Have a good time. Or did he, did he give a special gift to us? You know, I, I'd actually not looked at it that way before. After the crowning act of creation, 
which some say would be Eve, right? She was the last one <laughs> created. Uh, and I would have to agree. I think that was a really good idea. <laughs> um, uh, God said, I give you the first gift that he gave to the new couple, Adam and Eve, was every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. That will be yours for food. It's interesting. You know, the Bible doesn't, it's not like reading a book that tells you everything that's happening. The Bible gives you very concise information. And to think that God, in his wisdom and inspiration, puts so much information here about food. Now, I'm, I'm going to tie this in very importantly. Food is given us for substance, sustenance. It's given to us to reactivate the energies and the powers that God created into our body. We were created with a need for food to keep the processes going. So every time, we, that's why we pray and we thank God and we worship God every time we eat. Because we remember the fact that this is how God created us. And, and so he gave us that special food. And then he said, he makes a point, and to the beasts of the earth he gave a gift as well. What was that? Every green plant. So if we're looking for an original diet that relates to how we were created to be, it's very clear that we have the fruits, nuts, and grains, but not the vegetables, not the green plants. That wasn't part of the original diet. Uh, interesting. Can we, so does that mean that uh, we, if we're really going to follow the original diet, we shouldn't eat vegetables or green plants? Well, that's not where I'm going at all. Um, and then chapter 2 of Genesis focuses on the fall of man, right? And, and clearly re uh, helps us recognize the power of food and temptation and the power of food to lead us to poor choices. What's going on is that it's changing the way the genes are working when we choose foods that are not optimal for us. And then chapter 3 of Genesis, the, the redemption, the plan of salvation begins to be outlined, and, and you, you, you see all the harsh things, right? You see all the harsh things that are going on, um, and, uh, and, and then you read about cursed be the ground, and, and then you will work through painful toil, and and it'll, the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Those are actually gifts to us. That we now needed that exercise. We needed to toil in order to keep the body fit. And we needed an additional form of food, or else our health would suffer. Now, let me ask you a question. Why... Why didn't we need the green plants before? What, what, was, what was providing 
that nourishment before the fall of man. Thank you. Did you hear that? The tree of life. You know, there's, there's a movement within Christianity and even within Seventh-day Adventists to call this whole Genesis experience, this is just literation, right? This is, it's, it's kind of a nice way to understand, you know, where we came from, but it's not real. There's nothing that could be more real in my mind than the story of creation. Nothing could be more real than showing us that, that, that we were created by a loving God with a purpose. And we were given a special day to honor him and, and rest from the toils of this earth. Um, and we need to pay attention to the value of the gifts that he gave us. The, the nutritional counsel we get in the first three chapters of the Bible, at the very Genesis. So, so I believe, I, I can't prove this, but it makes sense to me, that, that there were nutrients in the fruit of the tree of life that activated certain genes that we all still have. The genes that will lead to immortality. The genes that allowed Adam and Eve and so many of their descendants to live 900 plus years. The, the genes that prevented disease. That created a vitality. That was phenomenal. It, there's... there's there's a section in the Spirit of Prophecy where Ellen White says, had not Adam and Eve been bestowed with the vitality that was 19 times stronger than men living today, the human race would have heretofore been extinct. Is there a reason? Do you, do you, do you understand why the devil is like a roaring lion? Because he knows that the human we as a society are not going to last that much longer health-wise. We just can't. The way, the way our body is being exposed to so many toxins, it's just not going to last that much longer. And so, and so to, we, are, we are compelled, if we're paying attention to these messages, to seek to follow Christ's guidance in optimizing our own health, not for health's sake, not so that we could say, hey, you know, I'm so much healthier, you know, you know that Adventists live 10 years longer than non-Adventists. You know, it's, it's, that's not what it's about. It's about being of better service. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be the healthiest person if I follow this way. It doesn't mean that, that I'm going to be given the opportunity to live a long life but everything that I choose to do now, everything that you choose to do right now is going to optimize your personal potential right now, whatever that might be. Some time ago, there was a researcher, a few years back, at the Joslin Diabetes Clinic in Boston. And he, he uh, had recognized that there were genes that coded for diabetes. And he wanted to be the first to establish scientifically what it actually was that turned on that gene. 
He recognized this whole process. Genes get turned on and get turned off. It's not about the gene. It's about whether you turn it on or turn it off. If we had the right nutrient, if we had the opportunity to eat of the tree of life right now, that would heal all our infirmities. And we, fortunately, are going to have that opportunity someday soon. I can't, I can't wait for that opportunity. Um, but at this point, we have what's second best and what God has given to us with the, which, which type of foods? The greens. Remind me about that. I'll come back to that point. So this researcher at Joslin says, I want to find out what is it that turns on the diabetic gene? And so he went through various experiments and he found that when he injected a certain chemical into these research animals, all of them developed full-blown diabetes right away after injecting them. And so then he was looking for an antidote. Well, if this, if this very, uh, toxic substance that was very inflammatory turned on the diabetic genes in these animals, then what, what can I do to turn it off? And so he thought, well, if, since this is an inflammatory chemical that I use to cause diabetes, I'm going to give them an anti-inflammatory medication. Guess what he gave them? What's the most common anti-inflammatory used over the counter? Aspirin. And so, and so he gave these animals enough aspirin, it actually turned off the diabetic gene, and they all were cured of diabetes. So he was thinking, this is great. So I'm going to patent this new form of aspirin, and it's, and it's going to make me a billionaire, right? And it would have, except for one thing. When he extrapolated to determine how much aspirin that would take in an average human to actually turn off completely the diabetic genes, he calculated that he would have to use 19 to 20 full strength, 325 milligram aspirin capsules daily. Now, if you've been dealing with diabetes for a decade or a year or even a week, and you have the opportunity to cure the diabetes, are you going to be listening intently? I would hope so. But how many of you would be willing to even take 10 aspirins a day if you knew that would cure your diabetes? Here we have a situation where the cure is worse than the illness. I'd much rather have diabetes than die within days or weeks of a horrible bleed-out, GI bleed-out. And I've had patients who, who crashed their vehicles on the road and they were taken to the emergency room and found out that, that they lost so much blood that they had just fainted while driving. Almost died because of a GI bleed related to just one or two aspirins a day. You know, a thousand people in the United States die every year simply because of using aspirin. Okay, and it's been said that if aspirin were just discovered today, it would never make it through the FDA regulation <laughs> because it's, it's too toxic. And, uh, and so we need to look, uh, find uh, better methods. Well, if, if, you, if you recognize, though, that, that aspirin or that inflammation was what caused the genes to turn on, 
And other studies have shown that inflammation triggers the heart disease genes. It triggers various cancer genes. Then we would, we would want to do, figure out, well, how can I naturally decrease inflammation in my body? So that's exactly what Harvard researchers decided. They were aware of this, of this new data. And Harvard, they do research right. They had been collecting blood samples in 50,000 doctors since 1976, thereabouts, in what's now known as the Health Professional Follow-Up Study. And so in, in um, somewhere around 2005, they, they collected blood, uh, these frozen samples, they, they drew a little bit of the blood from these samples all the way back to 1976, and they had all the nutritional information collected on all these doctors. And from that information, they, they determined what the four most inflammatory foods were. Okay, now, is that something that you want to know about? Are you sure you want to know about it? Right? We've, we've, been, we've been hearing today that some people, they just don't want to know certain things. Don't give me that book. I don't want to read that. I might be convicted, right? I might be convicted. You know, it's a good thing to be convicted. We shouldn't be shying away of being convicted. Okay? I mean, that's why hopefully many of us are here, many of us are listening to this presentation, is because we are willing to be convicted. Isn't that what really our, our main goal in this life is, is to allow the Spirit to convict us, to be humble enough to say, not my will, but your will. And so anytime new truth comes, we should be excited about that conviction. Okay? That's what allows us to get better. That's what allows us to get healthier. That's what allows us to get closer to that tipping point where something good is happening rather than more of the same. So don't shy away from conviction. Don't let your natural stubbornness, right? My natural stubbornness prevent you from being convicted. So the, uh, Dr. Walter Willett and other researchers at Harvard, they analyzed 50,000 individuals, each with thousands of data points, and they discovered that there was four food groups in particular that caused inflammation. And remember, why is inflammation bad? Because it turns on a lot of the bad genes. And it, it can turn off or weaken the good genes. So we never want to just kind of deal with inflammation. We have to figure out the cause and seek to remedy that as, as, as quickly as possible. The first food group was processed meats. The Harvard data had actually shown previously that men or women who ate red meats regularly were 30% more likely to develop diabetes in just an eight-year period. So we've always known from a public health medical standpoint that red meat is not a health food. Okay? It's not good for us. It has clear problems with it. But when you bring processed meats into the formula, you find that processed meats are three times worse than red meat in terms of its impact on inflammation, in terms of its impact on stimulating diabetes, activating the diabetic genes, heart disease, 
blood pressure, cancers as well. Okay, so that's, that's number one. So when I work with patients, my goal is not to turn them into vegetarians. They may end up there because, but they're gonna figure that out for themselves, right? By just looking at the data, okay? My goal is to help show, this is what the study says, boom, okay? Processed meat's a real problem, okay? So if you wanna start somewhere, that's where we need to start. Very inflammatory. The second food though, might hit a little bit closer to home for us because it's a purely vegan food. Refined grains. Many individuals who are vegetarian or vegan, and I'm glad they are, I certainly am, but it's easy to eat a vegan diet very unhealthfully, very easy. And I think many, if not most vegans actually are doing themselves a disservice because even though they're avoiding many harmful things, they're not avoiding all harmful things. See, so the point here should be, am I avoiding all the harmful things that medical science can, and inspiration, tell us about? And then am I embracing all the good things? Processed grains, refined grains. What's that involve? White bread, white rice, anything that's been processed. And one of the reasons for it is, number one, that when you refine a grain, you remove all the life-giving, healing nutrients. And what you have left is calories. But we like to do that because it makes it simpler to use many times. So that's one of the problems. We're actually creating deficiency diseases. It's called hypercaloric malnutrition. Got lots of calories, but very little nutrition. And that's, that is the, seat, the seeding of disease right there. I think that's one of the biggest issues. But on top of that, that's, there's even something worse that comes, and that is that when foods are refined, many times additives and other chemicals are added to that for whatever reason, for a lot of different reasons, which actually are mildly toxic, but cumulatively are very toxic to the system and in of themselves create inflammation, oxidation, damage to the body. And so now you have more toxins coming into the body causing damage, but because you're eating something refined, not only is there toxins in it, but you've also now eliminated all the nutrients that are there to help heal and neutralize the toxins. See, that's the problem with eating refined foods. And that's why eating a whole plant-based diet is so critical for us. It's a gift that helps the body heal, even when we're not aware of all the everyday environmental toxins. We're all exposed to environmental toxins every day. And so we are better able to deal with that if we have these neutralizing chemicals that come from whole plant-based foods. And in particular, from the food that was given to us in Genesis 3. Green leafy vegetables are the most critical. Green vegetables, colorful vegetables. Those are the foods that actually have the, the neutralizing chemicals in them that are important for life. 
The third category is pretty, pretty easy for us to recognize. And, and it's also, for the most part, a vegetarian category. That's sweets. Sweets, pastries, sugar, candies, soda. You know, somebody could eat nothing but soda all day long and they'd be vegan. Okay? <laughs> so, so that's why the goal isn't being vegan. The goal is eating healthfully. <laughs> okay? Now, now, I'm vegan, okay, but I, I don't stop there. I want to make sure that I'm doing it healthfully because it's so easy not to do it healthfully. And, and I'm, not, I'm not one to say everybody's got to be vegan. That's a choice that we make personally. And we just look at the research and make up our decisions. The fourth food group is actually not really even a food. But in our society, in our modern culture, we eat so much of these foods that it's actually been classified as a food, when in fact it has no real qualities of food other than it looks like food, it tastes like food, smells like food, but it's not. Artificial foods. Artificial foods. If, if I could just give one word of advice to somebody who doesn't know anything really about nutrition or lifestyle, and they're, they're wanting, they're open to change, they're wanting to do something about their health, I would say stop looking for healthier forms of junk food. Stop looking for foods that are fat-free, sugar-free, something free. Stop looking for those foods because they're invariably bad for you. In particular, sugar-free. Well, any artificial food is going to be bad for you. Why? Because it's synthetic. It's something that the body was not designed to consume or break down or digest. And so you're not getting any of that fat because that fat has been now chemically connected to another molecule that prevents it from being absorbed. That can't be good for you. And it's not. We know from the research it's not good for us at all. It's, it's so bad for us that it actually made the top four food group list of most inflammatory foods. And it's not even a food. In particular is the diet sodas and the diet drinks that are full of aspartame or other artificial sugars. I'm not talking about natural sugar alternatives. I'm talking about artificial sugars here. Extremely inflammatory. And that's why all the good studies that look at aspartame and diet soda sure show that people who drink those are more likely to gain weight even than those who drink regular sodas. They're more likely to develop diabetes. They're more likely to develop all kinds of health problems. Why? Because it's artificial. We need to go to what God designed us to consume. And that reminds me, I use this with my patients in my lectures. The, the, um, this comes from the message uh, in Isaiah, where it says, why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me, listen well, eat only the best. Fill yourself with only the finest. It's a great translation or paraphrase for presenting the health message. Okay? That God wants us to fill ourselves with what? Anything that doesn't immediately 
you know, show that we shouldn't eat it, or God wants us to give us the best, not just avoid unclean meats and the rest are completely up to you. It's not just a question of, oh, I don't smoke and I don't drink, don't eat unclean meats, therefore I'm a picture of health. Right? No, it really doesn't work that way. Interesting, interesting study was done a few years back. Looking at the population of Fiji. And in Fiji, one of the obvious characteristics to health researchers was, wow, just about everybody smokes. I mean, they have a very, very high prevalence of cigarette smoking. And so what would you expect in a population where most of the adults smoke? What would you expect over time? High rate of what cancer in particular? Lung cancer, right? And, and, and I, I certainly would expect it, but guess what? They don't have a very high rate of cancer. In fact, they have a much lower rate of cancer than other populations who have a very low rate of smoking. Hmm. So researchers love puzzles like that. So they were trying to figure out, what is it about these Fijians that they, they smoke so much, but they have a low rate of lung cancer? Uh, and they, they, they noticed that as the Fijians immigrated from Fiji to Hawaii, their rate of smoking went way down, but their rate of lung cancer went up. Looking at those differences, they started looking at, well, looking at, they, they were also evaluating the diet, and they noticed that the traditional Fijians living in their native homeland consumed a tremendous amount of green, leafy vegetables. Maybe they were reading Genesis very carefully, and they said, hey, you know, God actually commanded us to eat green, leafy vegetables. <laughs> a lot of people don't look at it that way. Okay? Why? Because he wants us to be healthy. Okay? Because God recognized that we were now missing all those nutrients from the tree of life that we won't have access to until after glorification. Then researchers actually did the genetic studies. And from the genetic studies, they actually showed that the genes that were activated by smoking that caused cancer were deactivated by a consistent consumption of green leafy vegetables. Now, what am I saying? Am I saying, well, as long as you eat your green leafy vegetables every day, it's okay to smoke? I'm absolutely not saying that. What I'm saying is that we need, to, we need to expand our concept of health. We need to not be confident in just following the bare minimal rules of our subculture within Adventism, where we don't do these two or three things. We need to start asking the question, what is it that God really wants from me? Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So there's, there's this whole concept, and I've heard it many times, no, no, you really can't reverse disease, you can only manage it. 
we're going to be looking at that in more detail this afternoon. Uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be showing that that we really can significantly change disease. We really can have a huge impact on on our health if we make the right decisions. Now, how much time do I have in this session? I, I want to be sensitive to time. Because I, I could keep going all day, and I, I know I don't want to make that, that mistake. Okay, so about five minutes. All right. Um, so let's look at the let's look at the concept of cancer and genetics. This this really hits home for me because my motivation for getting into the field of lifestyle medicine and nutritional medicine really was activated when I was. 10 years old, and my mother was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. My parents were missionaries in South America. Uh, I was born in Chile, uh, and then within a year we moved to Argentina where my father taught in the Seventh-day Adventist Seminary, and, and then we lived in Uruguay and Bolivia, and while we were in Bolivia, my mother started experiencing really bad depression and headaches. and. We weren't sure what was going on. We thought it was a dental problem. So during the furlough, she had dental work done. We thought that was going to take care of the problem. After the six-month furlough, every six years, they got a six-month furlough. Uh, we, we were back in Bolivia, and the headaches be, uh, were horrible. She went to see a, a radiologist. My dad took her to a new, a new hospital, a new Catholic hospital that had opened up in Cochabamba, Bolivia. And the radiologist told my father, says, get her on the next plane out of here. She has an inoperable tumor in her brain. It shattered our world, right? It, uh, we left South America with 20 minutes notice, left everything behind, never saw it again. And, um, and she fought the battle valiantly, but it was a terminal cancer. And uh, I, when I was 13 years old, I asked, I asked my father while we were just raking the leaves one autumn afternoon in Barron Springs, Michigan. And I said to him, Dad, why did mom have to die? What, what happened? What, how did this cancer happen? And I still remember him leaning on his rake and thinking, and he didn't know what to say. And at, at the age of 13, I was, I was thinking as I was looking at him, and I said, Dad, I, I wish I could know right now what my risks are so that I could start doing something about them today. Without realizing it, that was the watershed moment in my life where I, I started making decisions that would lead to being able to help people do that, help myself do that. And that's really what lifestyle medicine is all about, is, is, is helping others figure out for themselves how to turn off those bad genes. And there's a lot of ways to do that now that we didn't have available even five years ago, 10 years ago. 
There's powerful opportunities for us to revolutionize our health. And, and it happens through the genes. So this, this study that came out just a few years ago really made an impact on me because it validated in part what I've been reading about in our health messages all along. Our choices matter. Our choices isn't just a lifestyle that shows God that we're in agreement with him. But our choices and, and the right lifestyle is something that benefits us directly because God wants us to be benefited. He wants us to be healed. So um, the question that this study asked is, can I modify how my genes express themselves? We've been learning that that's true. But this, this was a, a very rigorous study, and it was with men who had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And they were given a choice. You could, you could go into, into a program that is just kind of called watchful waiting. We'll just kind of wait and see if something happens and then do something about it. Or surgery. You know, there's a, there's a very, uh, there's a controversy in medicine now about whether we should be even evaluating prostate risk. Whether we should even be doing the PSA blood test to evaluate whether there is a problem with the prostate gland. There's a lot of doctors say, we don't want to do this anymore. Because if you follow conventional strategies to deal with prostate, early prostate cancer, you actually create more problems for the patient than they already had. So they said, they're saying, well, we're not going to test for the scene. Where the problem is, is that they're forgetting that surgery is not the only option. In fact, it's, it's nowhere close to even being the best option for most people. The best option is catching it as early as possible through the appropriate screening techniques and then applying what Dr. Dean Ornish and other researchers discovered from this study. So what they did is they took a large group of, of men diagnosed with prostate cancer they, they tested their genes through prostate biopsies, and they tested over 500 different genes. And then for three months, they followed this special protocol that you see on the screen. It was a four-phase or... or, or a, it was a program that had four key components or pillars, if you will, that involved, number one, a plant-based diet. There's so much literature out there showing us that a plant-based diet, a whole food, not a processed plant-based diet, but a whole food plant-based diet can revolutionize and re-engineer the way our genes work. Moderate exercise, 30 minutes a day of moderate exercise. Stress management, and then a weekly support program. That was it. That was it. Three months of that program, and then they checked the prostate biopsies again. So they have a before and an after test. They looked at the genes. This was published in a, in a very reputable uh, medical journal. And... And what they found was amazing. It says that 48 disease-preventing genes 
that had initially been turned off were now on after three months only. Okay, so the 48 most prominent genes that help prevent disease that had been off now are on. Does that give you hope? It gives me hope. It validates what, what the spirit of prophecy has been sharing with us for so many decades. This is hardcore science. And then the genes that promote disease, and, and what Dr. Ornish did is he was looking at the, the research that shows the most prominent genes that cause disease. There was 453 of them that they measured. And all 453 of these genes that cause disease had been turned on initially. They were on. They were active. They were spreading the seed of rebellion. Cancer is rebellion, right? From a medical perspective, cancer is a cell that rebels, that says, I will surely not die. Okay, that's, that's what cancer is. It's cells that, that won't go through the normal life cycle. But now these disease-causing genes have all been turned off. This is the field that we now understand is epigenetics. Above and beyond the gene. The gene does not determine our future health. The gene has an influence, but it has to be turned on and turned off. So I challenge you today, I challenge me today, to be constantly searching for present truth that has the power to alter our genes, to transform us. That's, that's the value of our health message. Rightly applied in our lives, it can transform us. Now, there's research coming out that we'll share more later showing that how we think turns on and turns off genes. That was actually implied in this study that they included not only a whole plant-based diet and exercise, but what else? Stress management approach as well as weekly support. So we have the opportunity to learn about the power of forgiveness. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have forgiveness in your life, if you haven't humbled yourself to accept forgiveness in your life, you can't give it to other people. And I believe, and research is now showing, that the willingness to accept forgiveness and to give forgiveness is the most powerful gene-modulating factor of all. That's why we can't, we can't do any better than the word of God that's been given to us. If we take the time to seek to understand present truth, as we take the time to apply present truth and really understand 
the attitude that God wants us to have before him and before each other, that becomes the most healing nutrient of all. Thank you. Now let's end with a word of prayer. Father, we, we are so grateful that you have provided for us a way of escape. That you have provided for us a health message uh, that the entire world longs for and is waiting for us to share with them. Help us to know how to share it. Help us to know to share it with them with conviction and yet with a full share of your love so that they can accept it and apply it to their own lives as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.